0: You have your Bibles, or you please look with me to the Book of Isaiah as we continue our worship through the studying God's Word, hearing God's Word. Thank you again, worship team, for leading us in songs. Uh, appreciate the just the, the different instrument today. As I was listening, my ear was like, "Huh," it was tickled by something else, uh, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Just um, sometimes, uh, over the years, we've just really seen you know God uh, improve by. Uh, our worship ministry and it's always kind of neat even a very unmusically talented guy like myself can actually hear uh improvements and like wow oh, that's really neat i never yeah you know, didn't expect to hear that sound or that little part of the song and and you know that's as far as i can say about it, it was just good thank you for the blessing i wish the team for serving us uh, as we look to isaiah chapter 11 through 1 through 6 it's a a uh, passage that is called, uh, I, I titled The Root of Jesse, it's kind of, I re- initially was thinking of the stem of Jesse, but I realized The Root of Jesse, we'll go with the traditional title, which is more appropriate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and thank you that in it we hear your truths, in it is life, and in it is your promises, in it we find hope, in it we find life, uh, so, Lord, we come again to your word, looking to find these very things, life, hope, comfort, peace, joy, even as we begin the new year. We thank you, Father, for uh, this time and pray that your spirit would be our teacher, guide us into your truths, and help us to, to understand and grasp the significance of this text, even as we, in our human, in our human finiteness, cannot fully fathom the significance of this text yet lord we we know that you will glorify yourself as we open your word now, Father, give us a greater glimpse of the future, better kingdom of Christ. In these things we pray in Jesus name. amen. While most people about this uh, this time of year um, celebrate the new year, it is a usually a time when we kind of just we like as a new year because it's it's a time where we can. Have a fresh start, you know. We we kind of begin. It's a we take out the old calendar, put the new calendar. We uh, put away the Christmas decorations, and the house looks all clean again. Uh, everything's just kind of a it's a it's we will some of us will make New Year's resolutions, uh, things we hope to accomplish, and and that's just kind of always what the New Year brings. That's why we we celebrate it. We the worldwide we celebrate the New Year because it's always a the word new just reminds us that it's a new start. It's a, a new year. And even if last year wasn't so great for some of us, well, it's a new year. It's a whole new slate of possibilities and hopes. See, the new year offers the hope of a better year. That's why we, as a world, generally celebrate this time. And I'm sure that among us in this char- in this congregation, there are a variety of hopes. Hope for a better year at school, perhaps. Hope for Uh, better, closer friends, hope for perhaps a promotion at work, hope for meeting a significant other, hope for a, a better marriage, hope for a child, hope for better health, hope for success in a new venture. See, when it comes to hope, though, even as we have various hopes, hope is only as good as your basis or your ground for hope. When we ask ourselves, is why do you hope that? What, what makes you certain of that hope that you have? Is the basis of your hope uh, for a better year grounded in wishful thinking? That's not very solid of a basis. Is your hope for a better year grounded in your own abilities or maybe perhaps of another's? Well, that's a little better than wishful thinking, but even we recognize that we ourselves cannot control everything. Or is the basis of your hope for a better year grounded in your faith in christ your faith in jesus now that is the better hope that is a hope that is grounded and based in jesus is a far more sure hope but what i want to make sure i'm not saying and you will not hear me saying is that i'm not saying that faith in christ will bring about whatever you hope for you know say you hope for a better school year and so i have faith in christ therefore i'm a better school year we're not naming and claiming church so we don't go there um no amount of faith in Christ is going to make me into an, uh, you know, an action movie star, right? Uh, I don't think so. It's not going to happen. Faith in Christ will, uh, will instead really shape our hopes. We all have hopes, but our faith in Christ guides, directs the hopes that we have. And that we, so that what we hope for is ultimately seen in light of what is promised in Christ, what's promised in his word. See, hope that is grounded in your faith in Christ is one that is a certain hope. In today's passage, and, and so we learn how important hope is, but we learn more importantly today of, the, of hope that is based, that is grounded in the right thing, in the right person. Today's passage is one that is designed to give hope to God's people. And it, and it points them as a people who are basically in a hopeless situation to find hope, not in themselves, not in just uh, their dreams, but a hope in a future better kingdom, a hope in Christ, a hope in their Messiah. As a, just a historical context here, it was because of King Ahaz's failure to lead Judah in trusting God that God promised that the nation would face a determined destruction at the hand of the Assyrian Empire. In the face of this, God offers His people hope, even though He had just told them there is a, a, there is a determined destruction for them. But yet He offers them hope. In chapter 10, He had given them the hope of a returning remnant. He had given them the hope that even though Assyria is going to destroy you, that He would destroy Assyria. But here in chapter 11... He takes them much further forward in time and he promises a future better kingdom ruled by one called the root of Jesse. This would be a kingdom that would be characterized by righteousness, by peace, and by hope on earth. This hope is not only for them, the people of God then, but this hope is for us today, the people of God today. And as we look at this passage today in Isaiah 11, it's one of, there's a sort of a, a trilogy here. If you, if you, we've been studying in Isaiah chapter 7 all the way to chapter uh, 12, there's a trilogy of three key messianic prophecies. This is the third and final one. We saw Isaiah 7:14. We saw Isaiah 9 6 and 7. And this is the, the third of those, of that set, Isaiah 11:10 primarily, but leaving all of 11 11 1, 11 10 as well. And as we look at this passage, we're going to find, break it down pretty simply to two, two, a two-part outline, two aspects of this future better kingdom that bring hope to all people of all time. As we begin the new year, as we look forward to our various hopes, let's, let's look to a certain hope, like the guaranteed hope that we have in Christ, and let that inform and guide and direct our hopes that we have for this future year. So let's take a look then at these two points for this passage. Now, the first aspect of this future better kingdom that brings hope to us is the ruler of this kingdom, the ruler of this kingdom. In these nine verses of of chapter 11, we observe three things about this ruler. First of all, we learn about his credentials in verses one through two. Uh, What's his his background that makes him suitable to be the ruler of this far better, future better kingdom? And we read in verse one this. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Now, we see here the term branch again. We'd seen this earlier in chapter 4, verse 2. This branch terminology that's, and this botanical, a whole set of botanical terminologies, but particularly this concept of the branch terminology that is used of the Messianic king. The concept had its beginning, we explained it when we looked at chapter 4, had its beginnings in David's last final words recorded in 2 Samuel 23, verse 5. And I won't go there again, but you can just write that down. If, you're, if you missed it the first time, you want to go look at Why is he called the branch? You know, have you ever thought about that? Why is Jesus called the branch? What's significant about that? Simply, the gro- and we learn that as the branch, the growth or the fruition of the Davidic covenant, the, co- the promise that God made to King David, would come through the Messiah. And that's why it's called the branch. Now, in addition to this title, branch, He's called here also, in this verse, a shoot from the stem of Jesse, another botanical term. That is, he's a branch, or he's a twig that comes from the the stem and the line of Jesse. The term could easily be also translated, the stem could translate, the stump of Jesse. It's like this tree that's cut down, but something grows out of it, a a, a twig, a, a branch. That's this picture. Jesse, of course, is David's father. He was... David was uh, the, uh, the second king of Israel, the king after Saul. He was the man after God's own heart. He was a righteous king, even though he was not a perfect king. And God had promised to David that the throne of one of his descendants would be established forever. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 6, we call this the, the Davidic covenant, that there would be a king who comes from the line of David, one of his sons, who would be, sit on the throne forever. And that's unusual because most of David's sons died. They would live for a few years and they would die. But to have a throne that would last forever would mean that somehow this king would be an eternal king. Perhaps he would be eternal God as as we might connect some passages together. Only though a descendant of David could be the ruler of Israel, the rightful ruler of Israel. As opposed, now King Ahaz was a descendant of David and he was in a sense a rightful ruler. But in contrast to this future shoot of Jesse, King Ahaz, and many a good number of the kings of, of Judah were not very good kings. They were often evil kings. They did evil. They failed. They, they fell short. But this king, this shoot from the stem, from the stump of Jesse, would be one who would bear fruit. He would be a very productive king. He would, do, be, uh, he would accomplish many good things. And this is because of his second credential, Not only would he be a rightful heir to the throne, because he also has divine credentials. It's because he has the Spirit. Look at verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. When we read the Old Testament, we find that sometimes God would give certain individuals the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for a particular service to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit... Here would particularly indwell this this ruler, this ruler, and, and as a result of the spirit's indwelling of this particular ruler, and that's we would find that he would have wisdom, understanding. He would have counsel and strength. He would have knowledge, and he would have the fear of the Lord. All important and qualities of a ruler of any kingdom. Even when we think about these qualities, the last quality, the fear of the Lord. It's something, when we think about our leaders in the world today, it's, abs- it's often absent and missing. But in that future, far better kingdom will be a messianic ruler who will reign with all these things, but especially who will reign with the fear of the Lord. He himself will have a reverence for the Lord. Now, as Christians, we know, and I don't have to tell you, that this ruler is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. Matthew, in his gospel, makes this very clear. He connects this passage with the, what takes place in the life of Jesus. In Matthew 1, as you remember, there's that long genealogy there of Jesus' uh, heritage. But Matthew makes sure that he points out that Jesus descended from David and thus, on a human level, was qualified to be the rightful ruler of Israel. And then, though, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16... Matthew also records that when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the Spirit of God descended upon him. Remember that story? Descended upon Jesus, and that God even spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And so in Jesus of Nazareth, or we call Jesus Christ, he, he possessed both the human as well as the divine credentials to be this rightful ruler. And that's what we see not only prophesied here in 11, 1 and 2, but we see it fulfilled in his life. Secondly, we observe this ruler and what makes him, uh, what uh, what makes his kingdom so, what makes this kingdom such as, that we can hope in is his, the kind of rule that he has. Now, we all have human, we know human rulers. We know that when they rule, some are good and some are not so good, but they're all imperfect. No one rules and everybody agrees with them. But his rule will be a perfect rule as we read in verses 3 through 5. And he, uh, that is the, the rightful ruler, the root of Jesse, or the, the shoot from the stem of Jesse, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. And also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. What we read here in these three verses is that his rule will be marked by righteousness, fairness, and faithfulness. It will be so because he will delight in the fear of the Lord. It's because he has the spirit of God. He, the reverence for God, will be his pursuit. You know, we when we think about the world of politics, we always think about. uh, At least for me, at least uh, in my cynicism, I always think, well, they outwardly do so for the good of the people. But I always think, well, what is really what is it that they want to accomplish? What is it that they want to accomplish for themselves? Well, that's just my skeptical nature, I, but I think it's the reality. but not for Jesus, not for Jesus. When he rules and when he reigns, he does so truly for the reverence and the fear because of the fear of the Lord. You know when man, And when mankind judges, uh, you hope that you have a judge that will judge by. By the, by the witness, by what is observed, by what one sees, what one hears, by the testimony of others, as opposed to just by their whi- mere whims. And that's the best that mankind can hope for, and that's, a, that's a pretty good for human judges. But even for human judges, they can make mistakes. They can be deceived by false testimony, by, uh, by, uh, by even not seeing something uh, correctly, not seeing everything. But when the Messiah judges, he does not merely judge, will not judge by what he sees or what he hears, we read. Instead, he'll do so with a supernatural ability to judge with perfect righteousness and fairness. And that's what we want of a judge, that he would always make judgments that are perfect in righteousness, perfect in fairness. He will be just. He'll bring justice for the poor and afflicted. In fact, the latter half of verse 4 mentions that he will also judge the wicked, so when he judges, he'll make sure that those who are wicked will get what they deserve, that they will be punished. In fact, this whole section, verse 4, confirms for us that this is speaking of a future end times. This is speaking of the, the messianic day of the Lord when the Messiah will return to establish his millennial kingdom and of which we read even early today in our communion passage, the future kingdom of God. Not only though that we learn that the ruler's rule will be characterized by righteousness and faithfulness and justice, but we learn also about his kingdom. Something quite surprising about his kingdom in verse six through nine. It's quite interesting as we read this, and we read in verse six and nine: "And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze." The young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the winged child will put his hand on the viper's den. Now, if you have a child, uh, the last thing you want to do is put your child's hand by the viper's den, right? So, hey, just, you know, hey, uh, you, know when, <laughs> uh, you know, we don't do that. We don't believe that, okay? That's, that's not where we're at. Uh, th- because we know vipers are poisons, are deadly, they'll bite anything that comes near them if they're threatened. And we know that, and so what we read here, is, it's a very odd changing in the animal world. What we read here is that, is we read about a removal of the curse of sin, a curse of sin upon the animal kingdom. No longer will they devour one another for food. Even the, it says here, even the lion will eat straw. That's, man, that's amazing. A child will uh, and the animals will have the curse of sin Routrin so that no longer there's an enmity, even a threat from the animals to mankind, that a child will be able to play near these poisonous vipers. Now, this is not going to happen. See, and by the way, this is a, you, could, you could take this figuratively, but we, could also, we, should, we should take it literally. This is one of the evidences that why we're, we're not in the kingdom. For some who believe that there's a kingdom, that we're in the kingdom right now, this is not happening right now, okay? Not at all. So we're not in the kingdom yet. But essentially what this picture is is that the future kingdom, this, the, this ruler's future kingdom is one of peace. It's one where the curse of sin is removed. And that's why, and it's because he's the prince of peace, as we learn uh, from Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. The final verse explains for why there is this kingdom of peace. Verse 9, They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, in Messiah's kingdom, there will be no more hurt or destruction. Do you experience hurt or destruction in 2015? In the future kingdom of Christ, there will be no more hurt or destruction. Instead, there will be only healing and restoration. Why? Because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, it says. That is, everyone on the earth will know the Lord. Knowing the Lord, and it's knowing the Lord is more than just a matter of recognition, that everyone knows, oh, that's the Lord. Oh, that's the Lord Jesus. They will, it is a matter of actual regeneration and forgiveness of sin. That's what this knowledge, knowledge of the Lord means. We alluded to in our communion, but I'd like to read for you Jeremiah 31, verse 33 to 34, which explicitly tells us about this new covenant. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. This is speaking about the new covenant promises of God. And we find here that the new, promises of, the new covenant promise that were accomplished in Christ on the cross would result in God writing his law in our hearts. It would result in a, a forgiveness of sins, uh, forgiving our iniquity. And then most importantly, it would involve that we would all know the Lord in a salvific personal relationship that we would be restored to a right relationship with God, that we would not just know of him, know about him, we would actually know him. You know, famous people in the world, you know, say, I know President Obama. Yeah, I know about him. I know of him. But I don't really know him. He was like, Henry Henry who? Actually, he said, well, actually, I know because the, no, that's a joke. Anyways, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. But Jesus, the Lord in that kingdom, will actually, we will all know him. We'll have a personal relationship. He will know you. That is awesome. You know, think about the, the most famous, famous person you know. You know them. That's You're kind of like, oh, that's cool because I know them. But think about it. In the far better kingdom, future far better kingdom, you will know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. You will know the ruler of the universe. In fact, if you're a believer in Christ, you already know him now. That's the joy. That's the great privilege of knowing the Lord. Fact, and and what's significant about knowing the Lord is this, that Jesus tells us in John 17, 3, that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The sentence of this for us is that when we know the Lord, it means we have forgiveness of sins, we have eternal life. We have, this, we, we have the promise of the future with him. And this is the promise for all. If you're not here, you're not a believer in Christ. You're not yet, You have not yet... Uh, Put your faith in Jesus Christ. You don't know who Jesus is. I'll tell you, Jesus is the Lord, the Son of God. And he came and he died on the cross in place of us for our sins. We deserved an eternal judgment, but he came and experienced that judgment so that whoever believes in him would not have to experience that judgment, but instead would know him and know eternal life. Christ came for that reason. If you believe in Him, you repent of sin and put your faith in Him, you will come to know Him. This is, and you can experience this transformation of heart that Christ's death accomplished on the cross. We see then we've learned here about the ruler, the ruler of that makes that far better, that far uh, that future better kingdom, a great source of hope for man, for not only the people of God then, but the people of God today. And I think, and it was clear for the people of God then, because the, the kingdoms of the world, the governments back then, was either King Ahaz or it was the Syrian Empire. It was almost all governments were pretty bad. When we look at our governments today. Governments may have gotten a little bit better. They're all, all uh, going around destroying each other. Um, but no matter what government exists in this government exists in this world, still all government is limited. All no government is perfect. Each depends upon the leaders that sit in those governments, places. There's no perfect party. There's no perfect politician. There's no perfect government. And so, though we may be involved in politics, we should vote and we should fulfill our duties as citizens, putting our faith in politics is foolish. Putting our faith instead in the future reign of Christ is wise hope. And one day when Christ comes again in the millennium, in the future kingdom, his reign will be characterized by a righteousness and peace, a perfect righteousness and peace. And that's why, and this is why we hope for this far better future kingdom. And, that's what, that's, and that ought to be the basis, and he ought to be the basis for the hopes that we have even in this life. Now, there's a second aspect of this future better kingdom that brings hope as well. And that's what we find in verse 10 to 16. And that's the people of this kingdom. What is a bit surprising when we come to this text you know, is that the people of this future better kingdom are not just the Israelites. You think about it, because we have to keep in mind the context of this. When Isaiah gave this prophecy to uh, the nation Israel, they would have heard this, and they would have heard all these promises, and they understood that the kingdom was for them. They would have thought that they would have primarily thought that they're the chosen nation. Therefore, they would be the people of this kingdom. They really did not think much about Gentiles being a part of the kingdom, despite uh, having people like Ruth, a uh, Moabitess, be part of that of the line of of uh, this of the king da- of King David. But Gentiles as a whole were basically ignored. In fact, they were unclean; they were not followers of the Lord. But we find here in verse ten that probably the probably the key verse of the, of the or the most significant verse, particularly in. Uh, as far as the New Testament is concerned, is this promise that this far better future kingdom will include, of all things, of all people, Gentiles, people like the Assyrians, people who are like sinners, basically, people who are, don't even worship our God right now. They, God will include them in the kingdom. Just think about who are you know the fo- most foreign people we know there will be people who were part of ISIS who will probably be part of that future better kingdom. Okay, they'll have to stop believing in Islam but on Allah, but they will, God will bring some of them to repentance so that they would be part of that kingdom. There'll be people who are part of Nazi Germany. There'll be people who are part of the Assyrian Empire, of all the, the, of the worst empires that we can think of, the Roman Empire, and God will save Gentiles from all these different nations, no matter how evil they are, but God will include a part of them in this, in this kingdom. And let's look at the verse 10, the Gentiles. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the sun, or to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. See, in that day when the Messiah comes to reign, that is this date, we call this the day of the Lord, We find here that this significant phrase, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. In fact, uh, this would be quoted in the New Testament as the Gentiles will hope in the root of Jesse. And that's because it takes it from the Septuagint translation of, of this verse. But we note here, first of all, the people spoken here are the nations. So it's not the people of God, the Israelites will resort to the root of Jesse, the nations will resort, will hope in the root of Jesse, the Gentiles of the world. Secondly, we note this word resort. It means to seek with care. It is translated consult in chapter 8, verse 19, when the Israelites sought out the mediums and spiritists. It is used in chapter 9, verse 13 of the Israelites who did not seek the Lord of hosts, even as he disciplined them. So in stark contrast here, while Israel does not seek the Messiah, they, does not, they do not resort to the Messiah, the Gentile nations... Will. Thirdly, we note here that while in verse one the Messiah there was called the shoot of the stem that comes from the stem of Jesse, here he's called the root of Jesse. And even many you kind of know your plants, your, you know your plantology. <laughs> um, you know that shoots are different from roots, right? Shoots grow out of a tree. But roots are the foundation of a tree. The foundational; they they grow down. It's what the tree grows from. So there's a change in terminology here. To this, this ruler is now called the root of Jesse. It tells us that the Messiah is not just a descendant of Jesse, but he's and who will reign over the kingdom of David. But he is foundational. He is foundational for the future, better kingdom. He's foundational because he's further he and he's in a sense that because he's further described as one who will stand as a signal for the peoples. A signal was, can be translated as a standard, a banner. It was something that was raised up often in battles, as a as often in a high place where that would be raised up so that people would focus upon that, sa- that signal or that standard as an object of focus, as an object of hope in the midst of battles. Many of you know your New Testament, your Old Testament stories. The bronze serpent in the wilderness in Numbers twenty-one nine was set on a standard, and when all Israel looked upon it, even though they were bitten by the snakes as a judgment of God, they were healed. It was their, it was their hope, their signal for their hope. And we know in the New Testament that John then explains, Jesus actually explains in the Gospel of John that in the same way Jesus would have to be lifted up as a signal, a sign. A standard, so that whoever will look to him, believes in him, would have eternal life. See, Jesus is the foundation, is the root of Jesse, because he is one who was the signal. He's, the, he's the, the hope upon which we look to for salvation in the midst of, in the, in the midst of uh, troubles. And the Gentile nations here who will look in hope upon the root of Jesse will find in him a resting place. A resting place. They'll, in the midst of troubles, they'll find that he is their resting place. We all um, experience different trials in life, and sometimes we all find that we need to, when you have difficult times, you look over that resting place, right? Uh, maybe that particular corner at your favorite coffee shop or maybe your backyard or that place by the lake. You know, you find that resting place. to kind of calm and find, experience peace in the midst of troubles. But we learn here that the root of Jesse is he himself... His will provide a resting place for us. And His resting place will be, it says He will be glorious. Literally, it says it will be glory. It will be glory. This the, the resting place that the root of Jesse will provide for you and me, for all who hope in Him, will be glory. Why? Because the root of Jesse himself is the glory of God. Christ is the glory of God. He's the Son of God. We use this term glory... Or glorious in very mundane ways, uh, we we talk about oh that food was that I had for New Year's Eve was glorious, that wedding was it was that party was glorious, the championship is glorious, you know, and we use it and I get we, we know what we mean, but these are man's glories. The scripture says that man's glories are like flowers, the flowers of the fields, they fade with the day, but God's glory. God's glory doesn't fade. It's like the sun in comparison. It never fades. It's always shining, always bright. It's far better than all flowers. In this world, you'll find yourself facing various storms in life. But your resting place, if, you hope, when you, if your hope is in the root of Jesse, in Jesus Christ, you will find a resting place that is glory you will find in him the hope of glory in it, you have this promise of an eternal glorious better resting place because why because Christ will be there in that future kingdom the hope of the glory of God I'm trying to meditate upon this theme and I can't get my I can't wrap my head around it I tell you because my mind is often too focused on the glories of this world I find it I I, I I was uh, trying to come up with like, man, how can I explain this? Yet, in my fall, in my finiteness, I wrap myself around things of earth. I, I satisfy myself with these glories, with my clothes, with with championships, with oh, just good relationships on earth. But this, according to the word of God, this hope of the glory of God is a far better one. It's a greater glory than if we would we do well to meditate upon, that we would find it to be the most powerful hope we have in the sin-cursed world. I think we, tend, we oftentimes it, it takes a devastation, a destruction like what, take, what happens for Israel when, uh, or even when we face death itself, do we truly understand the future, this hope of the glory of God? That, is this, that everything else in this world perishes very quickly, but what we have what we can guarantee our hope in is this future better kingdom in the presence of Jesus Christ where we see the glory of God. Later in Romans chapter 15, verse 12 to 13, or I'm sorry, I I, I skipped ahead. Later in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, the Apostle Paul writes about this. He writes in verse 1 to 2, chapter 5, verse 1, uh, Therefore, having been justified by, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our intro- introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. This is the promise for believers in Jesus Christ, that we not only, not only have peace with Him, we have, but we also have a joy, a joy because we have the hope of the glory of God. Is your joy the hope of the glory of God? And if it's not, then your joy is in something else. And for most of us, it's probably in the earthly glories of this world. And that's not wrong necessarily, they're all God's gifts to us. But there's a far better joy that awaits for you and me. Better than having the perfect spouse, better than having perfect children better than having all your needs and wants, better than working at perfect job, better than having the best of friends, better than that perfect vacation, better than the hope of life's greatest accomplishments. Is this hope of the glory of God. In fact, Romans 15, 12, verse 13, uh, Paul will quote this verse there as well. uh, For the sake of time, I won't read it for you. But as a result we have of, the, of this promise that Gentiles can hope in this, be part of this future kingdom, we have blessings of joy and peace even today, even now. Christ is your hope. Christ is your hope in this fallen world. And in believing in Christ, God offers you all the joy and peace now so that you would abound in hope in the face of despair. And I know that among us here, 2015 was a difficult year for some of you. And I pray that as you begin 2016 with the hope of a better year, you will find it so because your hope is in the very root of Jesse, your signal in the battle, your resting place in the storm, in the glory of God, Jesus Christ. In the remaining verses of this, cha- of this section, we expectingly learn that the people of the future kingdom include the remnant of his people. And this we, we sort of expect. But we should we ought to expect as we read through the Old Testament. That includes the people of Israel. Just as God had promised that a remnant of believing Israel would return after the captivity, in the future kingdom a believing remnant of Israel would also return to God and the promised land. And we read about it in verses eleven through sixteen. I'm just gonna read them all all these verses together. we will just describe it. Then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people, who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And he will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel, and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Then the jealousy of Ephraim will depart, and those who harass Judah will be cut off, Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, and Judah will not harass Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of the Philistines on the west. Together they will plunder the sons of the east. They will possess Edom and Moab, and the sons of Ammon will be subject to them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and he will wave his hand over the river with his scorching wind, and he will strike it into seven streams and make men walk over dry shod. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant of his people, who will be left just as there was for Israel in the day that they came up out of the land of Egypt. And so we find here in these verses that basically God is going to accomplish. In God's, in the Lord's sovereign power, he will bring the remnant of his people. Because the people are going to be cast, are going to be scattered to the four corners of the earth. By the time of the Babylonian captivity, all all Israel will be scattered in the wind. And it wasn't until after World War II that the people of God in great numbers actually return to the land. But still, around the world, there are many people of Jewish descent who do not yet believe in Christ, who are living in all cross, in all the far nations. The majority of them are not living in Israel. There are a lot of Jewish people living in our country today, as well as in many other countries of the world. But God says that one day he will bring about, bring back his remnant, his chosen nation, the believing remnant, the faithful remnant who will come and they will possess what he has promised them, And that's the promise of the land, the land of, of Israel. And they will return. It's, it, it describes here how He'll draw them from the four corners of the earth, how no longer uh, will there be a divided kingdom, but there be a united kingdom. Remember, they were scattered as a divided kingdom. He will bring them back. He will unify them again. They will stand against all their enemies. In fact, he will make it so that in, even just as he dried up the Red Sea when, they left, when the Israelites left Egypt, so he will dry up the Euphrates River so that the, the people in Assyria will also be able to return back to the Promised Land and to the Lord, the Messiah. Now, for the application of this for Israel would be very clear. They'd say, whoa, this is probably the better point. I would, if I was preaching this to Jewish people, I would have preached this point, but I am have preached verse 10 because you're Gentiles mostly. But not being descendants of Israel, the application and encouragement of these promises to God's chosen nation is still is, is still blessing to us. Is that It points to us how God is faithful. Right? Every time we find promises to God, to God, to his nation Israel, talking about he'll return them to the land, he's going to bless them. And when you say, well, that's for Jewish people, it's not for me. Well, even if it's not for Jewish people, sometimes it's also got to we'll expand it to Gentiles. But even if it's not, the fact that God faithfully fulfills them to his chosen nation is a great encouragement to you and me. It should be the best encouragement. Because if God doesn't even keep a single one of his promises, if God somehow just fails to keep a single promise, then he's no longer faithful. And then we would have zero confidence to know that he's going to keep any promise that he makes to you and me. He does not forsake his promises. God is faithful to deliver. He does not do a bait and switch. It is God is faithful to his chosen nation. And keep in mind, he's faithful to them, even though they've sinned so pervasively over the years. They've sinned over and over and over. Does that sound familiar? And yet, he disciplines them, and they don't get it. Yet God is still faithful to keep his promises to you and me, despite our own failings, over and over and over. That's why we have the hope. Because whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a Jew, in the kingdom of the future, of the, of the root of Jesse, all people will be welcome. All people will be welcome in this kingdom. And that means that it's a kingdom for any who believe upon him. But it's for those who believe upon him. It's, it's not just automatic. You must believe in him if you have not done so. Today, believe, turn, and put your faith in Jesus Christ. As we conclude then, in a world of destruction and despair, Israel had found or find hope in the root of Jesse, who would come and establish a far better kingdom than the ones than the ones that they knew in their day. See, everyone, everyone, everyone in this room, everyone in this world wants a better world, a better future. No one says, oh, I hope 2016 is a terrible year. We all want a better year. Even if last year was a good year, we hope 2016 is a better year. No one wants a future that is bleak. But the problem is that man can't agree on what the source of a better future is. Most people think that the source of a better future is in mankind. If We all just, you watch the movies. I love watching the movies because they tell me what the world is thinking. And the world tells me that if we just all work together, I just watched uh, one movie and talked about, if we all, the world just gets together and we all do our math, we will say, we will accomplish great and wonderful things. Uh, you, know, you can probably do that if you do your math do, do do your math but think about it if you individually can't guarantee that you'll make your own life better this year what makes us think that all mankind together with all our problems can make the world a better this year we can't In fact, oftentimes we find in the Bible, when the world gets together, it's usually bad news. The source of a better future is in none other than the root of Jesse in Jesus Christ. And when you believe in Christ, you have the hope of a far better future. In a world of disappointments and distress, may your hope this year be found strongly grounded and rooted in the root of Jesse, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths and help us, Father, to be a people who place our hope rightly as we begin the new year. A hope that is based and grounded in the promises of Christ, in Christ. May our faith in Jesus shape us in the things we hope for, the things we dream for, the things we long for. May the hope of the future glory of God also shape everything that we pursue in this, in this year. Help us to be people who do not live for this world, but people who live for eternal glory. People who, even for some of us, we likely will experience distress and disappointments, destruction, and even death. Lord, as we face these things in 2016, help us not to, be, to lose, our, to lose f- faith, Fact, that we instead that we would have our faith strengthened, that our hope would grow, that would make our hope grow even more for that far better future kingdom, that world where the root of Jesse reigns with perfect righteousness and faithfulness and justice, and where people from Israel and the people from the four corners of the earth, from all nations, will hope in him. Lord, we thank you for that hope. And Father, we praise you and thank you that you brought us to that place of hope. We praise you for Jesus Christ. Help us to continue to hope until that day when he comes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.